So Craig asked a, a pretty interesting question last week. And he just said, you know, as a church, are we a cruise ship or are we a battleship? And that really made me think a lot. And I know that our heart, our heart is to be a battleship. And I think it's reflected in our three pillars. So, you know, I, t- I took a look at our pillars and I said, okay, what, you know, we've, we've said that these three pillars are what uh, our church is based on and, and everything we do surrounds these things. So I kind of took a look at that and I said, okay, well, our first pil- pillar is profound love for God. And I think we do this well. We love God. We love Jesus. We love the Holy Spirit. We have that profound love for God. The second pillar we have is a genuine love for his church. And I think we do this pretty well, too. I think we, we love each other. Um, we connect with other churches. Um, you know, we're in relationship with NCMI. We, uh, we pray for and partner with uh, area churches and churches around the nation. So I think, you know, we definitely have this genuine love for his church. And then our third pillar is a demonstrative love for his lost. And I think we do this. I do. But I also think if we were honest with ourselves, this is an area that we could grow in an area that we could bolster and strengthen. Our heart really is to be a battleship. And our pillars that we we believe and and kind of base this church on are are in alignment with God's heart, in alignment with wanting to be a battleship. In Luke 10, 25 through 28, it says this, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, speaking about Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In Matthew it says, On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You know, the, the, the Ten Commandments were given, and there's all sorts of instruction, but Jesus said that these things, loving him and loving each other, those things take care of the rest of it if we just focus on those things. And I think this is what we're about. We love God and we love the church, but who is our neighbor? That goes beyond just the church and into our third pillar, right? So let's read on in Luke 29. The lawyer continues on after Jesus answered this, and he said, But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him into an inn and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands. And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So a priest and a Levite walk by this man. 
while a Samaritan showed compassion and care for him. Maybe the priest and the Levite were just too busy. Maybe they had other plans. They couldn't stop or whatever. Maybe it just wasn't convenient. In this story, the Samaritan definitely showed himself to be a neighbor to this man far more than the priest and the Levite. He demonstrated compassion and care. Craig spoke about this last week. You know, he said that as we go about our Christian walk, it's not always convenient for us. God's timing, his plans, the things that he wants us to go do, they may not line up with what we had planned. But as a church, if we want to be a battleship for God, we have to be willing to be inconvenienced. We have to be willing to go out of our way, not not overlook or pass by, not cross the street and try to ignore those that are lost, hurting, broken. If we miss out on the full perspective of who our neighbor is, then we'll become a cruise ship. We'll become internally focused. We'll, we'll, we love God and we love each other. Everyone that's on the boat is having a great time. And we'll find comfort in that holy huddle that Craig, Craig described. Loving God, loving the church, but forgetting about the hurting and the lost souls that God has called us to seek out and find. And it's an easy trap to fall into. This here is a picture I'll bring up. It's not the best picture, but this is Davis Monthan Air Force Boneyard in Tucson. So after World War II, they began parking unneeded aircraft post-war, right? And today it houses more than 4,400 various aircraft. After the war, these planes lost their purpose. They were no longer needed, so they sit in these fields today to waste away. It's easy to think that we don't need to be a battleship. If we only look with our physical eyes, we can miss it. You know, it it doesn't look like a war zone where we live. It doesn't. You know, it's apparent when you're in a place where there's tanks and troops and, you know, gunfire and all these things going on. But where we live, that's that's not the case. But we have to realize we're still in a battle. We're still at war. In Ephesians 6.12, it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, the forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There are certainly things that we battle in the physical realm. There are, but the real battle takes place in the spiritual realm. It takes place in those places that we don't see with our physical eyes. This is not a time for us as a church, whether it's Impact Rock or the church at large, to be cruising. The church has not lost its purpose, as with the planes in that picture that I shared. I think the church as a whole today has, in some cases, found themselves in that place. They've they've forgotten that we are at, at, at battle and that our purpose has been lost in some way. And so we find these churches parked in these boneyards, just rusting away, or becoming internally focused and forgetting about the mission. We have a mission, and we need to be focused on it. That's the differentiator. As I think about this, the difference between a cruise ship mentality and a battleship mentality is that. A cruise ship, there's no no mission. There's no purpose. But with a battleship, there's purpose. A church that loves God, 
and loves each other is good, but it's not good enough. If we lose sight of the mission, then we risk becoming that cruise ship. We risk taking on that mentality. So what does that look like? I thought about that. So, and Craig touched on a few of these things last week, but with a cruise ship mentality, it's all about the passengers and their comfort. But with a battleship mentality, it's all about the mission. With a cruise ship mentality, it, it brings temporary happiness and joy to the flesh. But with a battleship mentality, it brings joy and fulfillment as we accomplish the mission. A cruise ship mentality views worship as music for the enjoyment of the passengers. But a battleship mentality views worship as a declaration and a battle cry for God. A cruise ship mentality is there to meet the needs of the passengers. But with a battleship mentality, the ship and crew are equipped and focused on warfare. With a cruise ship mentality, people are just there for the ride and for the crew to serve them. But with a battleship mentality, people are there to equip, serve, and deploy their talents, multiply their talents. On a battleship, it's 100% crew. There are no passengers. And there are no non-essential crew. There's no such thing. There's no crew member that doesn't have a purpose. And friends, if you call Impact Rock Church home, you're part of the crew. Every single person here is needed to fulfill the mission. We do this together. And our mission is this, to expand the kingdom of God. That's the mission. In Acts 1.8 it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. That's part of our mission. We're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in Erie, in Colorado, in the surrounding states and the nations. That's not an individual task. That's something we do together. In Luke 19, 9 and 10, it says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. We're to point people to Jesus and to his salvation. We're to seek out those that are lost. And in Matthew 28, 18, and 19, it says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to make disciples of all nations. The church is God's chosen plan and method to advance his kingdom as Craig spoke last week there is no plan B his church is it, plan A, plan only so what do we need to advance this mission as members of this crew how can we support that mission well as with any vessel there are many things that need to happen to support the mission there will always be maintenance and upkeep and and cleaning and care for the vessel to make sure that it can serve us well But there's some other vital things beyond that that we need to focus on to to equip ourselves and prepare ourselves and to be effective in this mission God has called us to. And one of those things is worship. Worship is a vital part of our mission. It's a declaration of who we serve. It invites and ushers in God's presence. 
and is a battle cry that strikes fear into the enemy. As we worship the Lord, we are making declaration that this town, this church, these surrounding areas belong to Him. The enemy hears that. He hears that worship. He hears that battle cry. And it pushes Him back. It brings victory too. In Second Chronicles, Jehoshaphat was battling Moab and Ammon and he sent worshipers ahead of the battle. In Second Chronicles 20, 20-23, it says this, They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed, for the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Worshiping God brings him into battle with us. It strikes fear into the enemy and brings victory. I love the last part of that verse. I can just see as we're worshiping God and we're going out in our battlefield, the, the enemy just being confused and, and, and just in fear. Demons knocking each other over off cliffs, just destroying each other because of God's presence in our midst. And we are all needed in worship. We're all needed. It's not just the, the worship team playing while we listen. They're leading us in worship. It was beautiful today to just hear all the voices lifted up together. That's how it should be. It's not something we attend or spectate. It's not music for our enjoyment. Everyone is needed, and we all contribute to the roar of that battle cry. Worship is vital to the mission, friends. Prayer. Prayer is another vital part of our mission. It's needed both individually and corporately. Prayer is communication with God, and it's to simplify it, right? And God's leading the mission, so we've got to be talking to Him. He's the commander-in-chief. We're following Him. We need to seek God for direction and strategy and make known to Him our needs as we look to advance the mission and expand the kingdom. And there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. And we need to prioritize it. <clears throat> in Acts 4, Peter and John had been taken before the high priest for teaching about Jesus. So I want to read from Acts 4, 23 and 24. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is, is in them. And then if we skip down to verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak the word of God with boldness. Praying together invites the Holy Spirit, and it brings boldness. I'm always strengthened when we have prayer together. Always. And encouraged. There's such power in it. And we need prayer to support the mission. We need to be communicating with God for direction and guidance. 
In Acts 12, 1-7, it says this, Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread when he had seized him. He put him in prison, delivering him to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Prayer brings deliverance. The church was praying fervently for Peter. And God delivered him from bondage. We want to see people set free from bondage. We want to see that as a church, right? So we have to be praying for that. Our prayers are heard by God and it, and it, and it, it just moves him to action. He sent angels to free him. It's just powerful, guys. In Matthew 18, 18 through 20, it says this, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am in their midst. Corporate prayer binds and looses. It binds and looses. As we get together to pray for our town and for various people, it binds the plans of the enemy. It shuts him down, and it looses the things of God. It brings freedom to people. There's power in corporate prayer. Lifting up others, proclaiming Jesus over our town. And we have the faithful few today. We do. But we need the vital many. We are all needed in prayer to push back the enemy, to gain ground for the king. Prayer is vital to the mission. Discipleship. Discipleship is another vital piece to the advancement of the kingdom of God. And the purpose of discipleship is to bring believers into maturity. I think it's best said in Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together and held by every joint which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I think that says it all. And we believe in that. We believe in that fivefold ministry. We believe in that equipping. That's why we relate with NCMI. That's why we invited Craig in to speak to us and pour into us in an apostolic function. 
we want to take advantage of, of every one of these gifts that God gave the church to equip us and prepare us. And I recognize as a pastor, part of my job is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. But it's not a pastor or an apostle or just a teacher's job to, to disciple others. The saints are to advance the work of the ministry as well, and that's a part of the work of the ministry. We've talked about discipleship programs for our church, and we want one, and we'll get one put into place. But programs are not the end-all, beat-all. The original discipleship program was pretty simple. Disciples making disciples. It was meant to be a multiplying work. Jesus didn't send out 12 to change the nations by themselves. He sent out 12 to start to multiply, to expand, and it, and it grows and grows and grows. It's meant to be a multiplying work. And we're all needed. We're all needed in this, all of us. If you've walked with the Lord for a while and you're, you're more mature in the Lord, we need you. We need you to be pouring into those that are younger in the Lord, that are uh, not as far along in their walk, to, to equip them, to teach them, to grow them into maturity in their faith. If you're younger in the Lord, we need you too. We need you to connect with more mature believers and grow in your faith. We have lots of children in our church, and we need people to teach them and help set a firm foundation of Jesus in their lives. Why? Because Christ wants us to mature and grow in him, in knowledge and relationship, to, to be able to stand firm in him, not be tossed about by every wave, so that we can be effective for the mission, so that we can reach those that are lost, that are in bondage, that are unaware of the sin that they're shackled to, and to spread the good news of Jesus that they don't have to remain shackled to that sin. That he had a plan and a way, and, a, and there's a, a way to unbind them from that so that they can come to know Jesus, come to know his salvation, and live an eternal life with him. We're all needed for the mission, friends. We've got to stop disqualifying ourselves. It's not to say that we're all going to do the same thing or we're all going to do things in, in the same effectivity, but we all have a part to play. In Romans 12, 4 through 8, it says this. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We all serve different functions, but we all have a function. This is a battleship, friends. There are no non-essential crew. All are needed. Everyone here has talents, gifts, and abilities to further the mission. So I'll ask us, church, are we a cruise ship or a battleship? Are we here to serve or to be served? Are we prepared for the mission? This church is our base of operations, 
a place of worship and prayer, a place of equipping, but the mission is out there. There are elements of of the mission here. People come into this place that are lost and, and we have to care for them. But the mission at large is out there. And, and I think we do. I think we are a battleship. Don't take this the wrong way. We are a battleship. I think we do. I, I think we are. But I also think that we're up to the challenge of doing more. We're in this together, friends. For the king and his kingdom. To expand his kingdom and see the lost brought into salvation and, and joining this family.